What if bridges could talk to you? What would they say? Is it possible to 3D print a heart? These are the types of questions that Carnegie Mellon engineering researchers are answering, testing, and applying to the real world. This podcast series will bring them all together. This year, 2015, Carnegie Mellon's Information Networking Institute, or INI, as the locals like to call it, turns 25, 25 years old. This episode of Make It Real will focus on one of many milestones of INI in its first 25 years, the creation of the world's first big Wi-Fi network. In the early 90s, a team of engineers from INI made Carnegie Mellon the first wireless campus. It's a super interesting and inspiring story, and today I'm speaking with INI's first director who led that project. I'm Alex Hills, Distinguished Service Professor at Carnegie Mellon University, where I work in the departments of Engineering and Public Policy and Electrical and Computer Engineering. For this interview, Alex called me from his home in Alaska. He's been up there teaching at the University of Alaska and also catching up with some old friends who, back in the 70s, helped him build the very first telecommunications systems in the remote parts of the state. A few years ago, Alex wrote a book called Wi-Fi and the Bad Boys of Radio. The book recounts his experiences of building that first big Wi-Fi network, which they called Wireless Andrew, an homage to Andrew Carnegie and Andrew Mellon. We originally built... uh The wireless Andrew, at least the early phase of it, was intended for researchers who were working with mobile computing. But an interesting thing happened, and it all relates to the fact that Carnegie Mellon students are pretty smart, and they they really wanted to get on the network. So before we knew it, we had more students than, than researchers on there. It was kind of a backdoor operation how students got on there in the first place. Wait, so are you saying the students hacked into the network before they were told they were allowed to use it? That's exactly what I'm saying, and that's what I say in the book, too. <laughs> that's, that's an awesome story. I like that. So making the Internet, quote, wireless was one of the first goals of yours when you started INI. Let's go back in time for a second. When people heard the word wireless in 1990, what did it mean to them? Well, except for maybe a few of us who were thinking about the future, wireless didn't really mean very much in the United States. The word wireless was being used in England and the UK, but not in America, to mean radio. Um, So in the UK in 1990, you might hear a family member say, what's on the wireless tonight? Meaning, what's on the radio, as in broadcast radio. But other than that... um, Everyday people didn't really talk about wireless. There were a few of us that were thinking about the future, and we were starting to talk about wireless, meaning radio technology, for Internet access. Interesting. So the Internet wasn't wireless on any college campuses at the time, and really not anywhere in the world, as you just got done saying. So what were people's reactions when you told them you wanted to make the Internet wireless? Yeah, it sounded pretty radical. Um... Some of the faculty were very interested because they were working on software that uh, was oriented to mobile computing, carrying a mobile computer around, and exactly how the internet connection was going to be made was an open question, but radio was an obvious way to do that. You're right that there 
there were no other Wi-Fi networks at that time. No, and I'm using Wi-Fi here to mean uh, a high-speed wireless connection. Uh, we were really the first ones to build a campus-wide wireless network. There was an earlier technology called wireless local area network, which could be used to serve fixed computers, not mobile computers, fixed computers, maybe in one or two rooms, one or two rooms of a building, but nothing beyond that. So we were really way ahead of not only other universities, but everyone else in terms of uh, setting out to build this kind of a network. So you say you guys were way ahead of everyone else, but anytime someone is first in doing something, it makes me think of, you know, there, there was a race to be first, kind of like the, the race to be the first on the moon. Was there a race? Not really. We were the only ones doing it in the early to mid-90s. No one was even out there trying to beat us. <laughs> so it wasn't really much of a race. Uh, a few years later, in I have a story in the book where a few years later, in 1998, we had wireless Andrea was pretty well developed by that time. And we were not only the only university, but, well, maybe there, maybe by 98, there were a few other organizations, maybe tech organizations that were starting to build their own networks, but not so much in other universities. So I have a story, uh, a Carnegie Mellon freshman who uh, got on wireless Andrew, established a connection to his friend who was a freshman at MIT, just to show him that Carnegie Mellon had a wireless network, and they didn't. In other words, he was trying to rub it in. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so let's fast forward to today. How does the Wi-Fi technology and its use today compare with how you envisioned it back in the 90s? Well, um, our vision was mobile access, but the applications that we thought of were the same ones that we were already using. We, d we, we certainly envisioned something like smartphones. Um, in fact, there was a professor named Dan Sawarik, who I talk about in the book. Dan is still a, a professor there in computer science and ECE. And Dan, in the 90s, was working on something he called wearable computers, the, uh, a computer that you could actually wear on your body. And the best way to explain that was if you remember the Star Trek communicator, where Captain Kirk had this communicator on the chest of his uniform. Uh, that was the idea of a wearable computer. So we were definitely thinking about small computers, and Dan was building, with the help of his students, uh, computers that were smaller and smaller and more and more powerful. And Dan, when he heard about wireless Andrew, right away he wanted to uh, add a wireless capability to the wearable computers, which he did. So to wrap it all up, looking back, what do you think enabled you and your team to do this? Like, what was your secret sauce in developing the world's first big Wi-Fi network? I don't know how much of a secret it is, but I think what makes a difference is at Carnegie Mellon, we have the freedom to innovate. We have the freedom to work outside the box. So you take that kind of freedom and then you mix it in with the interdisciplinary culture of the place. I mean, the INI isn't the only part of Carnegie Mellon that's interdisciplinary. People all across the university are working in interdisciplinary ways. In other universities, you hear lip service given to interdisciplinary, but when it gets right down to it, people are hesitant to uh, move outside their own particular specialty. So I think it's kind of the combination of the freedom to innovate and the interdisciplinary culture that we have at CMU. 
This podcast has been brought to you by Carnegie Mellon University's College of Engineering. I'm Daniel Tatchik.